age. Now that for me, I was given this and I thought, that's brilliant. But then when you're preparing, you think, man alive, I have so many opinions, so much to say. So I've got to stick to my notes as much as I can and not overrun this morning. So here goes. You're welcome to throw anything at me if I waffle or if I go over time. We're going to start off by doing a little equation. Here is what the equation looks like. On the top of the screen is the alphabet. There's the letters of the alphabet as we know it. And then if you add a number to each letter of the alphabet, it might look something like this. So A is 1, B2, C3, D4, E5, and so on. I think you get the gist, hopefully. (laughs) I don't need to go through every letter of the alphabet and every number. If you spelt the word knowledge and you took the numbers that related to each letter that spelt the word knowledge, the percentage would be 96%. That adds up to 96 points. Do you get where I'm going with this? Good. Has anyone seen this already? Yeah. Yeah, teacher. Yeah, okay. (laughs) The next one, hard work. If you add up all the letters that make up hard work, that comes to 98%. You can all see where it's going, can't you? So, knowledge, knowing stuff is important. Okay? Hard work is important. There's a great word. Attitude. I really wish that this is added up to 99%, just because that 1% would be so annoying. But sadly, it doesn't. Attitude, when you total it up, comes to 100%. Here's the reason why I've done a little equation, and I didn't come up with that, by the way. It's amazing what you find on Facebook. Absolutely brilliant. And uh, Facebook, the, the power to the preachers, um, yeah, imagination. And uh, knowledge, 96%. Hard work, 98%. Attitude, 100%. The reason why I've said something really quickly about attitude is what we're going to look at, although we're looking at communicating about the gospel message, in a moment we're going to look at John, and um, John chapter 4, and what we're going to do, instead of me standing up trying to give out so many different kind of practical ideas of how you can go and communicate the gospel to someone, I actually think it's less about little practical ideas and more about attitude, because so much of who, so much that flows out of who we are is actually based on the attitude that we live our life out of. Jesus clearly, in John 4, there is a couple of areas of attitude that you see in John 4, but actually, you will see throughout his ministry that we're going to pull out, and these are two attitudes that everything flows from. Everything flows from. So we're going to look at a couple of those in a minute to start with. What this isn't, this isn't a pressure talk to all of a sudden make you kind of feel that you have to go... To, and, and get a little soapbox to stand in the middle of, of Hastings and, and preach. This is not a pressure thing. Last week we were in Paris, and um, we, as we came out of the Louvre in Paris, we crossed the road. And as we crossed the road, literally we looked to our right-hand side, and it was the biggest blockade of police transit vans with riot shields and everything. And so there's, there's me, my wife, and two children standing in the middle of a road looking like that for four British people in the middle of Paris looking at the biggest blockade I've ever seen. And we looked at each other and we thought, that's weird. What is going on? Behind this blockade were 6,000 very angry Frenchmen in yellow vests. 
And it was a yellow vest protest. I don't know if you know what's been going on the past 40 weeks. Very violent, uh, quite a scary protest. And we find ourselves walking about probably 100 metres in front of quite the, the, one of the biggest protests going on in France at the moment. If you knew Edworthy Holidays, you would realise that this is quite a standard. We've been struck by lightning in aeroplanes, we've been derailed by trains, and we've nearly been eaten by a rhinoceros. Yeah, that's, that is true, okay? So our, our little break seems to go. Anyway, at that moment in time, when I looked to my right, I did not stop and feel the sudden urge to preach the gospel to 6,000 angry Frenchmen in yellow vests. The re- <laughs> what I did do was... Go- <laughs> I got my phone out and I thought, this is a great media opportunity. If ITN want any live coverage or a bit of a video clip, I could sell it to them. I have video footage of 6,000 Frenchmen in yellow vests on my phone. I stood in the middle of there, did that, took the camera while Roz run for cover with my kids. There's me standing in the middle of the road thinking, do you know what? This is a money opportunity. I've got to be honest. I could sell it to Hello Magazine. The reason why I say that is... For me, I'm not the kind of person that intensely, consciously always walks around thinking, ah, now's a great chance for me to preach to 6,000 Frenchmen. I'm saying that I could have. I do, no, I couldn't have. <laughs> but I say that genuinely in that this is not a pressure talk. It's practical everyday life. There have been times when I have sat down and talked to people about Jesus because I think he's amazing. I think it's hugely relevant, and I think it changes our lives. Brilliantly. But I'm not going to stand in front of 6,000 people at an angry moment. There's a time and a place for me sometimes. Do you get what I mean? This isn't, it's everyday life with an extraordinary message. You've got to be wise with it. Don't put yourself in danger. We're going to read from John 4, verse 4 to 26. And what we're going to do, we're going to discover a couple of practical, foundational attitudes which will help us communicate with people on all sorts of levels, but brilliantly communicate the gospel. Here's what he says. This is where Jesus talks to a Samaritan woman. I I absolutely love this. The more I read it, it's fascinating. John chapter 4, verse 4 through to 26. Now he had gone through Samaria, and he came to a town in Samaria called, oh, here we go, names, Sichat, Sichat, uh, Sidecar, let's call it Sidecar. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to the town to buy some food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jewish people and Samaritan people did not mix. Okay, They don't mix. Jesus answered to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said, Sir... You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, and did also, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. 
Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. I don't have a husband, she replied. And then Jesus said, Do you know what? You're right when you say you don't have a husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands and the man you are now with is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, uh, where you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus said, I, the one I'm speaking to you, that's me. Why do I love this so much? Why have I chosen this? We're not going to go too deeply into into really what it says, only other than there are a couple of things that we can really pull out. In this account, Jesus is walking from Judea to Galilee and has to go through Samaria, a place where Jews and and they don't really go and they don't really mix. One, Jesus is talking to a Samaritan. Two, he's talking to a woman. Two things that, as a Jewish person, you just did not do at that time. Jesus goes into this town. He's had a long journey. It's very arid, very hot, very dusty, very dirty. He sits down, sits a while, and then this lady comes over from a totally different people group. First thing Jesus says is, not you there, do this. First first thing he says is, please can you help me? I'm really thirsty. Do you know what? Yeah, I'm a Jew. You're a Samaritan. You're a woman. I can get over that. Please, I'm welcoming you in to my life to offer me, or just to say, can you get me some water? Absolutely brilliant. That first step from Jesus, what he does is, he lets the woman know, you're all right. Really, you're kind of, in a way, you're on my level. I'm putting you on my level. Actually, I'm putting you above me because I'm asking you for some help. The humility at the start of this conversation, I think we could learn a thing or two at the start of a conversation about opening ourselves up and putting the person we're talking to first and just saying, do you know what? Can you help me, actually? And then this conversation goes on and makes way for one of the most wonderful metaphors in the Bible where it all takes around water in a kind of an arid country and Jesus begins to open up to this woman and she opens up to him and, um, and uh, they, they begin to talk about husbands and things like that and she says, actually, I'm not married. And then Jesus actually is able to say, no, you've had this amount of husbands and at the moment the guy you're living with isn't. And all of a sudden there's this picture built up of... This lady, who really, in a sense, is in a relational desert. Her relationships before haven't worked. Who knows what the relationship is like at the moment? And what Jesus then begins to say is, he talks about 
the place where you're at, it sounds really dry. I can give you some living water. If you come to me, this desert that you're in, man, I can, there's something that I can offer, I can bring to you that really you will not find anywhere else. This is a living water. This is a water that is a relational thing that lasts for eternity. You're in a relational desert. Love, sorry, I'm Essex. You're in a relational desert. What I can bring you is the most wonderful thing. And then that opens up a talk around religion and a talk around how Jesus is the Messiah that came and, um, and then things go on from there. So because Jesus made the first move and opened up to the woman asking her for help, this made way for a hugely metaphorical conversation to happen that just welcomed this lady in and did it from an angle that she just understood. This isn't a Bible passage that we now have to take up buckets of water going round and saying, who likes some water? That would just be weird. But in the context of the, the context and the time of where Jesus was living at that moment, it made sense. It made sense. A brilliant example of communication, which to us looks a bit odd. But more importantly, to the lady that Jesus is speaking to, it wasn't odd. It arose curiosity. It brought an answer to a deepest need. How did he do it? Is there a couple of things that we can learn, really, from an attitude that Jesus may have carried around with him? I should have done that a bit earlier. Here we go. If there's one thing that we know and we can learn about Jesus, it's this. The number one thing that he probably spoke about hugely is a word simply called love. Whether it's a Samaritan woman or one of the many other people who Jesus encountered, like the sick or the poor or the outcasts or the popular or the rich, even the group of people that he called a brood of vipers. Imagine calling people a brood of vipers. Even those guys. There was not one person that he did not speak to who he did not love. Because his foundational attitude to anyone and everyone, even the people that he called a brood of vipers, love didn't suddenly leave him. He didn't suddenly change. Even those people. His teaching of love your neighbour, love your enemy, and in Mark 10, 21, it clearly says Jesus looked at the man and loved him and then he spoke. It's an attitude. This love thing is an attitude. What's the part, what's foundational in this? Where did Jesus get this? Why, why have that as an attitude? I kind of think it's this. I want you to read it before I say it. <laughs> it hasn't even come up. That is amazing. What beautiful timing. Here we go. Have a read of this. Let me bring a bit of understanding. Before the world was created, Jesus existed. He's part of the Trinity that made you. 
It says in the Bible, in creation, he made stuff. Let me try and put it in a really quick bit of context. In the beginning was God. You didn't exist. The world didn't exist and the universe didn't exist. Get your head around that. (laughs) God existed. God made stuff. The universe, all that kind of thing. God made you. First person he made was Adam, Eve. We're all part of that. He thinks you are more amazing than anything else he has ever made, ever. Ever. And not only that, it says that there is something about you that bears his image. And there's something about you that represents him on the earth that we live in. The brood of vipers were fearfully and wonderfully made. The Samaritan woman, there was something about her in all her relationships. Bless her. Do you know what? I get quite emotional. In all of the relational breakdown that that woman's had, she carries the image of God. Just because sin exists, that image is a bit fractured, distorted, but that image is not lost. Is not lost. The foundational attitude of Jesus' loving people, he was there before everything was made. He was the one that made it. He came to earth because he loves it and it bears his image. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. The brood of vipers weren't perfect. Okay? But that image has not been lost. You are valued. And we should value the value in each other. Just as a a bit of an aside, I don't know if this is helpful or not, but based off of that kind of thought and theory, modern-day psychology, some of this comes from that idea. There's a guy called Carl Rogers, and he's a psychotherapist, and he came up with something, an idea called unconditional positive regard, and that means whoever is sitting in front of you, you treat them with the highest amount of regard. It doesn't matter what their background, it does not matter what they have done, but you sit there helping them. And what he says is, that kind of unconditional positive regard, I call it love. That love is one of the biggest things to help people change because they're fully accepted. Here's a brief description of what that means. I'm going to call it UPR. UPR doesn't mean that you need to like the person or approve of what they do. Nor does it mean that you have to simply put up with what they do if you see it as dangerous in some way. UPR can be misunderstood as being nice to people, smiling at them and nodding. But it's not about what you do. It's an attitude. Get the attitude and the behaviour that expresses that attitude will follow. I'm going to change the word UPR for love. Love doesn't mean that you need to like the person or approve of what they do. Do you remember when Jesus said you brood of vipers? Nor does it mean that you have to simply put up with what you see if the way they're going ahead looks dangerous to them. Love can be misunderstood as being nice, smiling and nodding. 
But love's not just about what you do. Love's an attitude. And if you carry that attitude of love, of the highest dignity for people, if you carry that with you, things flow out of that. It's not just an act. It's here. It's here. It runs deep. It runs deep. I'm not going to have time to finish this morning. No, I'm not. Here's how much Jesus loves the people that he spoke to. Here's how much God loves you. He loves you enough to not not tell you that you're a sinner. If he never told you that there's a problem called sin in the world and that separates us from God, It pollutes who we are and destroys our relationships and it's a powerful thing that we just sometimes can't get rid of. If he didn't confront that and you didn't know about it or I didn't know about it, what would that be like? But God, you've got to think about this a minute. When Jesus talks to the brood of vipers, when Jesus is so confrontational, it's because first and foremost, he loves us God loves us enough to tell us the truth about ourselves so that we can do something about it. The problem with sin is we can't do anything about it. So the one that made us chose because of his highest amount of regard and love himself to come, to die on a cross, to fix the issue himself and to make it known that actually there is an issue. It needs to be dealt with. I've come to deal with it. That's the message. And he was very honest, but he never departed from his foundational attitude that I love you enough to be honest and straight with you. That's why sometimes love is offensive. That's why sometimes love gets our back up. But we've got to see it from where it comes from. What does this look like in everyday stuff? What does this all mean? Everyone loved, everyone valued. When we're communicating with someone, recognise a person you're sitting in front of. First and foremost, before you try and fix them, recognise them that they're a loved, valued individual. God created, carrying the image of God. Yeah, it's a bit broken, a bit distorted. Who isn't? From the most vilest defender through to Mother Teresa, it doesn't matter. They're still made in the image of God. That's a challenge, by the way. Not to you. I'm not putting out a challenge to you. When you, have to sit, when you sit down in front of someone and they're so hugely different to you, it's a challenge. Give people time and energy to listen because they deserve it. Be honest with the highest amount of dignity. And you don't have to be everyone's friend, but there's nothing wrong with taking a moment with someone on the bus and just having a chat. Okay. <laughs> that point lasted a while, didn't it? Okay. I'm going to fly through this next one. 
in the story, in the Samaritan story and others, we see how amazingly relevant Jesus is. I'm not talking about relevance in terms of he didn't walk around with a mobile disco, the latest pair of trainers, and saying, sick. (laughs) See how relevant I am. Yes. That's not the kind of relevance we're on about. Relevance doesn't go, it goes deeper than that. Honest, brilliant, amazing relevance goes deeper than that. Okay. In the Samaritan story and others, we see Jesus' relevance, naturalness, and knowledge helped him put him in the world of the other person. It helped him see the world in their shoes. Here's what I mean by that. Jesus' relevance with a Samaritan woman, the whole conversation is in terms which the woman could understand, and it was fully shaped by her experience. It wasn't, look at me and my world, and you should take this on. It was, let me come into your world, and I'm going to help you understand because this is how you view the world. Brilliant. Quality. (laughs) Giving her handles, it gives her handles from her own experience to grasp hold of the gospel. It makes more sense because that's the world she's living in. Do you get that? Do you get the difference between you trying to put your world on someone else or you trying to step into the world of someone else having some empathy and thinking, do you know what, I'm going to help you understand from the way you see things. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. He doesn't try to persuade her from his angle, but from her own angle, and brings in truth. Jesus' humanity and his naturalness, there isn't any oddness about Jesus. There's nothing odd about him. The conversation flows, and it's interesting. It's interesting conversation. It awakens her curiosity And even though so many social taboos are being broken, Jesus' ability to be incredibly present with that lady is just wonderful. Jesus says, I need some help. Will you get me some water? Let's have a chat. By the way, you know, your bit of a relational desert is is kind of a bit of a picture. I know he didn't say it like that, probably more eloquently. And Jesus' knowledge was both supernatural and natural, which helped the whole thing. His natural understanding of the culture that he was in was brilliant. Brilliant. He was culturally aware. He knew the times he was living in. But the supernatural knowledge, a word of wisdom about her marriage, a word of wisdom about previous partners, man alive, did that open something up? The mixture of the supernatural and the natural is wonderfully exampled. Jesus didn't sit down to someone that wouldn't have fully got it and said, I have a word for you. The Holy Spirit. He just said, you know what, you're right when you don't have a husband. Man alive, you're right. You had five. That must be so, what must that be like for you? He let it open, let something open up. There's a reason why the gifts of the Spirit are there. For people, for, it's a gift to the church. Wonderful. How long we got? I've got to go in a minute. Here's a map of Ikea. For anyone that's been to Ikea, you will look at that and you will think, yeah, I get that. You kind of start and you exit. And the thing you need to buy, I don't know if you can see it, you see the little yellow dot? That's the thing you need to buy, which is always at the very end. And you have to navigate your way around. Trying to find your way on a map is interesting. 
reason why I say maps is this. There's an idea and a thought, again, in, in different areas of helping people. Here's the idea of some of what Jesus does brilliantly. He takes a map, but it's not his own map. He almost takes a map of how the Samaritan woman sees the world, how she filters everything she sees and experiences. Jesus picks up her map and helps her understand from her angle. He does it wonderfully time and time again. He's a master at communication. And, believe, like, and even today, people that do this stuff, well, I think it all flows from this guy. <laughs> I've got to be honest. He knows how it's done, and he knows how it's done brilliantly and wonderfully explains the gospel. I'm going to end. <laughs> I'm going to end on saying what this means today and then hopefully something that will really help. What does this all mean? Think about being on the other person's map and not your own. What can you use around you as a metaphor? Get rid of your language that you use on a Sunday morning and use a salt and pepper pot to explain the gospel. Okay? If you don't know how to do that, I'll I'll show you one day. What's around you? Use the sea, the ocean. Hastings is the most wonderful place you will ever live. Believe me, I've lived in Scunthorpe. (laughs) Stop moaning about how bad Hastings is and enjoy it. It's a beautiful place. Enjoy the sea. St. Leonard's, Hastings, you might have lived here for years and don't see it. Believe me, as someone that's... I, I, I lived here, went and came back. Okay? We love the place. It's a good place to be. Enjoy it. Celebrate the good of Hastings and let people know about it. God's doing good stuff here. Anyway, um, <laughs> what can you use around you as a metaphor? Be yourself because everyone else is taken... Jesus didn't try and be someone else. You are good enough. You are enough, and the message you carry is more than enough. Be yourself. Enjoy it. Have fun. Live life. And don't be odd and over-spiritual. Put it in a language that people get. You know? Be yourself with it. You're allowed to be yourself. Because God made you that way. And you're not perfect, no. So we don't need to try and be. Be yourself. Use what's around you. And here's the message, very quickly, what we're trying to get across. (laughs) That I'm old. What's the message, really quickly? The message is this. You're made in the image of God. You carry, you bear the image of God. That's that's what you are. It's who you are. But this is what God says, not what Paul says. There's something called sin in the world, and you were born into it. You don't know it because you don't know anything else, actually. You've lived it for years. Here's what sin looks like. Sin's a pollutant. You know, like pollution in the environment, we talk about it a lot and that kind of stuff. You don't really see it, but you see it's, you see it's kind of like, um, what's the word? You see its effects, unless you see the smog in London, and, and then you see it. But sin's a pollutant. It kind of works in us a bit, and we don't even know it sometimes. It can affect our relationships. It definitely affects your relationship with God. It affects our relationships with each other. And sometimes it kind of grows a bit, and you kind of think, what I mean by sin is the wrong we do. Uh, attitudes and that kind of stuff. 
And we're not all bad, horrible, horrendous people. But we are sinners because no one's perfect. And this idea of sin, it pollutes. It kind of, to the point where we don't even know it's there. Thank God that he, he told us about it. Because otherwise, if we never knew it was there, what would that be like? Sin's a pollutant and it affects everyone. You're born into it. Sorry to say, there's no getting away from it. You're born into it. It pollutes. The other thing it does, it's really powerful. Have you ever tried to break a habit? Sometimes we can with lots of help. But sin's it's a powerful thing. Trying to break an attitude like envy or that kind of thing. Or even that thing is kind of like, nope, I am good enough and I'm better than everyone else. That's called pride. Pride's a sin. I'm sorry. It's powerful. It has a hold on us and it's difficult to break away from. Before God, you can't break away from it on your own. You can't. Sin has a penalty. Everyone loves, not everyone loves justice. But in the world, there's a thing called justice. When a crime or something is done against one person, we ask for justice to be done. And that feels right and it feels good. We have a just God. The God that we talk about is a just God. That's why justice is in the world. There is a just God. The problem is, we are the guilty ones because of sin. And there's a penalty to pay. And then there's a partition. Partition is sin separates you from God. No matter how good you are, it's not good enough. It's the harsh reality of it. It's the effects of sin in the world we live in. You might see it in your life. You might see it in Hastings. You might see it in London. I definitely saw it in Paris a week ago. Horrible. Sorry. (laughs) See stuff and you think, how on earth did we get to this point? And why is it getting worse? It's there. Here's the message. Jesus. The one that made it all. And you chose to come. And he he sorted it. It says in the Bible, Romans 5.8, Jesus paid for your penalty. Jesus paid so that you no longer have to be separated from God because that sin is forgiven. Forgiven means you is nothing you can do. It's like me saying to Simon here, I forgive you. No matter what's happened and been done, the most powerful thing to stop that and to sort it out is to say you're forgiven. 1 Peter 2, 24. By his wounds, you are healed. Consequences of sin. The pollution of it. The hold and the power and the chains it sticks around us. These things are broken. How do we get this kind of stuff that I'm talking about? I'm going to finish here. I'm sorry, I'm now like for Bexhill. I'm going to finish here. Two things. Faith. Is Jesus who he said he was? If you don't know who Jesus said he was, I haven't got time. Ah, rubbish. Please find out. Talk to the person next to you. You need to find out who Jesus is. What does he say about himself? 
is he who he says he is, if he is a yes, you take a step of faith to say, yes, I believe that. But what you do is this. When you turn and face him, there's a word called repentance and says, you turn away from other stuff. You turn away from the rubbish and you turn towards what's good, what's right, and the place we were made to be. That's the hope of the gospel that we have. It's about forgiveness of sins, but the consequences of sins are huge. I'm going to end there, guys. Love more. Choose it as an attitude. Choose to love. Recognize that we're all different. And put yourself on the other person's map and just think, is there a way I can help them by trying to see it from their angle? Free, know the message that you're carrying. And just work out, how, how do we work? How do we say that today that's all right and not weird and strange? I'm going to pray really quickly. And I'm going to hand over to Sam because Sam's getting fidgety. God, I thank you for a message that is universal and a message that breaks into every single life because the planet, the, the whole of history, the place where we are, has the consequences of sin. I thank you that, Jesus Christ, you came so that sin can be dealt with and it is finished. And those that put their faith to say, you are who you say you are, Jesus, and who turn away from the old and look to the good, look to the new, I thank you that it's like they're born again. Life takes on a whole new realm and a meaning, and it makes a bit more sense. Thank you for the power to come away from sin that's hold, held on to us. Thank you that you want to make us into the people that we were originally designed to be. It takes time, but God, I thank you that you are at work in our lives because we are in relationship with you, and there is genuinely no other place I would rather be than here in your love. Amen. Thanks, Paul. Shall we give him another round of applause? That's great. If you have been, obviously, uh, listening to Paul and you have questions about any of the um, issues that came up, please do come and find me. I'll be right here in front. Come and ha uh, have a chat. Uh, we will